Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast with Grace Opa portrays remarkable stories of people, especially women, who have used negative life challenges as a fuel to propel them into actualizing their dreams, aspirations, turning their mess into a positive message. The podcast is created to encourage, educate, empower, enable and enthuse all listeners. There will be conversations, interviews, edutainment, questions, answers, solo sessions with survivors, professionals, charities and interesting notable guests. The episodes are steps we take together to find solutions to life challenges. It can be emotional but instills resilience, healing, freedom, wholeness, love, care, the capacity to forge ahead and live a fulfilling life in all areas, be it physical, mental, social and spiritual. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey. My special guest today is Salimata Bajdi-Knight, an FGM survivor, an advocate, an advice worker at Bryson Charitable Group, a leading campaigner for NSPCC in the UK, an ambassador for Amnesty International Bermuda. Welcome, Salimata. Thank you very much, Grace, for having me. Uh, my name is Salimata Bajinait. I'm originally from Senegal in West Africa, and I grew up in Paris, which is in France, and now I live in the UK. Wow, that must be exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> So, um, how would you like to classify FGM? Is it a physical, psychological, or sexual abuse? It's a bit of those three, uh, because uh, psycholo- physically, we've we been, we, we, something has been cut from our body, therefore this physical abuse. And is also psychologically because it's the impact of the invasion and also the shock of having been cut, the, the hurt and sexual abuse because is on our genital part. That's where the, the where the cuts have done. Therefore, is those is really touched those three. Uh, those how you describe is physical, psychological, and uh, sexual abuse. Actually. That must cause a lot of trauma. Yes, because uh, when we were, I was young, four and a half to five, and they told us we went on holiday uh, in Senegal, and uh, the the elderly they told us we're going to a picnic, and uh, obviously as a young girl, and I met my cousin, if I was very interesting, and I remember I didn't walk that day, they they somebody held me in their back. Uh, and therefore we were very jolly, happy, because we're going to a picnic. We know we're going to have lovely, delicious food. And when we went, we went to this like a type of wood uh, away from the village. And this, this day we were about 20. And little by little, people were disappearing. Children was disappearing and teenagers as well. And somebody a bit older than us, my cousin. 
and all I can hear is screaming. We didn't know what was happening, but definitely the, the scream and the, and the, and the crying, we know that's not a happy moment. And uh, obviously I was scared because I don't know what's happening. And they never came back to where we were. They will be put somewhere else, but you can still hear the commotions. And then one, uh, one finally was my turn. I arrived in a little place and suddenly there were this elderly the woman they they like almost like jump on me. It was a very sudden because I guess they used this surprise element to, to because they didn't want us to be running all over the place. And then uh, they really pinned me down and before I know I, I felt something very sharp between my leg because at that time, don't forget I'm four and a half, at that time I don't know even know what are the part of my my body. I know I have legs, I know I have arms and I eat, therefore I know I have a head, the hair and everything, uh, a body because I wear the clothes, but to actually uh, determine which part of my body they cut, I really didn't know. But then I, I was, they called me the tiger because they, they, I was kicking and biting and, and uh, uh, not being happy was happening because they told me uh, we're going to a picnic. Therefore, I was not happy at all. Oh, gosh. Mm. That's a very sad story. What are the common names for FGM? It's known as female circumcisions as well, or cutting, or sonna, or gutnin, or alalais, tahu, megres, or Kitan, and there's another list if you go into nspcc.org.uk slash type of um, what is child abuse, type of abuse, female genital mutilation, FGM. If you scroll down, there's actually a PDF of a details uh, by languages, by languages with by country all over the world, the signification of it. What is your involvement with the Forgiveness Project? The Forgiveness Project is a great uh, charity. It was uh, set up by uh, a friend of mine, Marina Cantacuzino. She's a journalist. And uh, one day she was watching uh, the television and she said this doctor, there's the, the, after the, something happened and the child, the, the child died, and uh, the journalist asked uh, the doctor, uh, no, asked the parents, you know, do you forgive the doctor for failing? And uh, the parents said, no, it's not the doctor, the child has died. And, uh, and the parents said they forgive. And through that, she got the idea to create an organization, a charity, set up a charity about forgiveness project. For, for example, is uh, um, taking people's story and, and uh, having a dialogue and looking into uh, restorative justice and see how the impact of what happened to us, we can, the victor and the victim, and the perpetrator to sit together to have a dialogue, and also the person who is the victim, if they are able to forgive. 
that's how we started and from there we did um, they have organized many for me to speak in uh, many school throughout the UK and once we also went all the way to South Africa to an international conference about forgiveness and we have people from all over the world it was quite remarkable we went to Robin Island and we have the exhibition set at St. George's Cathedral in Cape Town wow. it was amazing yes that must have created a powerful impact it was amazing because uh, then we have panels we have a, I think it's the Reverend um, Desmond Tutu came and we have a lot of uh, um, dignitary of the area and uh, ordinary people as well living in the, um, in different uh, area of uh, the city and we were able to do a fantastic uh, conference and we went to visit uh, Robin Island and different places. So it was like more of a of an impactful occasion as well as sightseeing for you. Yes, it was. Um, it's like um, between the victim and the perpetrator of crime and violence is to help to explore the idea or around forgiveness and alternative to revenge. Mm. Mm. That is very mm. powerful. And, uh, the, and it was set up in 2004, the Forgiveness Project, Restorative Justice, Conflict Resolution and Forgiveness, and is uh, a way of storytelling as well. Okay. Mm. So it's quite uh, restorative. Yes, and the conference been held in Hawaii, uh, different parts of America, and worldwide now. Okay. You're also the ambassador for Amnesty International for Bermuda. Can you tell me about this? Yes, I was uh, inviting uh, years ago to by Amnesty International, the the branch section of in Bermuda. Um, to I was invited to to give a lecture, and I met the premier and I the governors as well and the opposition as well because. Uh, they like uh, the head of almost of the uh, the island, and uh, I was also invited to go to various school, and I even spoke to the chamber of commerce in Bermuda, and uh, it was quite uh, amazing the the response I got. I went also in. Um, in a girls' school, the institute of uh, is called uh, high, is Bermuda High School of Girls and uh, Institute, and that was uh, quite a remarkable encounter with these young uh, young ladies. They were they had a very interesting question because in Bermuda, it's the FGM is no practice, but they were really caring in the approach and how they we were having interaction was very good. And from there, I was able to fundraise, and it was uh, amazing afterwards. I could uh, help some charity here. Mm. Wow, you're day. doing an amazing job. Mm. You're doing I'm, a very good job. Yes, I think what it is, is the minute I decided that I'm not a victor anymore, because when I was a teenage, I used, I used to do a lot of sport, and one day there's this conversation among girls, and I and then I ask the question, when were you when when you when were you cut? And uh, all my French uh, girl, they they look at me thinking, what do you mean? I'm not gardening or things like that, because they thought uh, when they go gardening they cut themselves. I say no. When did you become a woman? And they look at me thinking, 
we're still young and we know women, yeah? I say, no, but when did you get being a woman? Because now I'm a woman. And they said to me, they laugh and laugh. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this girl today? Because they're my friend, they're like sisters. And then I said, and I then said to them, when will you circumcise? And, they, and I can see they all get red. They all like, and I can see the whole body languages. And I'm thinking, What's what's wrong? Why they not well they not proud and happy about this? Cause that mean is a seal of uh, of approval that now you are a woman. And uh, one of them started to cry, and one of them hugged me, and I'm thinking, why are they making all this fuss? What was wrong with these girls? And then that's when they tell me they say no, we never got this normal tradition. And the penny drop because for me is a tradition for all the women of the world because as I see myself as a global citizen, therefore I think is a way that's what they do to young girl. And when I realize it's not, it's something of my culture, it really threw me back because. One minute I was this Parisian girl from Paris and lovely cake, lovely fashion design degree and all these things. And suddenly I am catapulted to another world and I had to accept that and I was very, very angry because I think, because from the four, age of four to five, afterwards I think I just block it out of my brain. I almost like forgot about it. Obviously, every day I have a shower, I'm reminded, but the, the whole process, I just put it on the, on the back of my mind and everything come and I tried to speak with my mother because I was so angry and I was a teenager. You can imagine how temperamental I was. Uh, and she told me is is against our law to talk about it, otherwise you will die. And I said to her, I don't care if I die today. You have to tell me why did you mutilate me? And then my mother, she she said, No, I can tell you. She went completely silent. And then I decided I went to see, I went to the like the police to 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 ask about to, if they know about these things. And I didn't go to report my parents, no, there, but I just wanted to, I went to see the doctors, I went to the social services, and most importantly, I met a wonderful lady, uh, Kadi. She, she's the one uh, who, who told me about it. She was uh, a social worker, originally from Senegal. Therefore, she was able to really uh, put me in the, culture context of my the culture because I still have to learn a lot of things and and it's from there I, sh I watch a lot of film I read a lot of book and it's after I, I educate myself and then I try to speak to my father because my mother didn't want to know and it's my father helped me to stop FGM in my family oh. we even stopped 50 girls uh, to have it done that period and then also all my my sibling from that year, 1996, nobody ever been circumcised right until today. So mm. it was you and your father that actually fought FGM from continuing. Yes, because when he was ill in a hospital bed, he I went to see him. I said to him, I really need to speak to you because I'm hurting because of this FGM and sometimes to go to see my gynecologue and go do a lot of things, my gynecologist. And uh, he said, what's wrong? I said, because they cut me the FGM, I'm having problems sometimes. It's aching there and also psychologically, that's why I never wanted to get married because I was scared to have a baby and somebody will snatch the baby to have FGM. That's why I never 
never wanted to get married before. And then, uh, and my father started to cry. My father was a very sensitive man and he was my best friend. I can speak to him about anything. And then he, and then he said, uh, he, he apologized for the, the, the hurt to the woman. And he said, we'll do his best to stop it. Therefore, he did, he called to another uncle who was, because we are all scattered around France, my family. He called them and he told them because we were preparing, they were preparing to take five girls. That's my cousin, a young sister of mine and three other completely stranger but friend to my mother but they trust my mother therefore they were going to give her the girl and they was going to take them to senegal they bought all the jewelry they bought all the clothes the the the, the food everything is ready to go and the tickets everything is ready but i did my best with my research going to see the doctor going to see legally what can happen to my father if i say something because i love my mother very much and i love my father very much i don't want them to be being shown a french tv all over look this African blah 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 therefore I was in the right in the middle because one side I'm French but I'm originally I am also uh, fortunately also originally from Senegal therefore my identity is almost like multifaceted I don't want my parents to go to prison because of something happening in the past they actually will know they fought because after I said to my, my mother we had an argument one day and she told me oh I'm gonna cut it again and I went ballistic. I said to her, how dare you? This is a man aware of you to undermine you. I said, you should be ashamed of repeating such violent things. And then she was so shocked of my reaction. I said to her, you have to respect me. I am a woman now. You cannot talk to me like I'm a little girl. And by the way, I'm not happy you did that to me. And then she also started crying. And she said, oh, you are my baby. I never wanted to have it done. Is your grandmother orchestrated everything. Therefore, something really shifted in my heart. I didn't hate my parents anymore. And I didn't hate my mother anymore. And the woman, because I thought they completed to do that to me. It changed my whole setup in life. So it changed your perspective. Yes. And I was able to speak with my mother about this, which is, in our culture, this is completely forbidden. Yes, mm. you being in France and you coming from an African setting, yeah. culturally is not allowed. But because you've been able to explain what you've went through, the trauma and the understanding, your parents understood the pain you went through and they decided because of the research you've done mm -hmm. to put an end to FGM yes. amongst your family members. Mm. It was amazing. I'll never forget that my father in his uh, hospital bed, he hugged me because he had diabetes, my dad. And he hugged me and he, he apologized and he said, it's like all of us in the family, we are freeing ourselves uh, from a, a nine or ten storage building and with your hand you come and save our lives. He said, what you did, make us understood that FGM is something of the past because it's an African old tradition from the ancient Egyptian, the pharaohs, where they used to, because at that time everybody was like a African uh, Nubian looking, like black people, and they used to, is an identity, they were sequencing people for identity purpose. Therefore they can recognize who were the royalty and who was everybody else. It's almost like a, a, a ritual 
That's how we started. And uh, this was done 10,000 years well before any other religion, well-known religion uh, to man now, also uh, practiced it. So in a way, you're the savior. In my family, definitely, yes. And I had to take a very strong stand because it was very scary because it's like who I am, why, what, how can I stop this? Because I'm, I'm fighting against the adult, also the culture, and also being growing up in France at that time, every day there was uh, an episode on the television that a woman has circumcised a daughter on the table in the room. Therefore, it was such a stag uh, stigma that I didn't want my parents to go through. I wanted to stop it. I feel I was right in the middle being a French, being African, and also my parents. And I, I did my best to find the middle way, the best way of uh, of uh, stopping FGM and really have this dialogue heart-to-heart -heart with my father. Oh, well done. Mm. FGM is an abuse, a global issue with women. Yes, it is, because it's, uh, World Health Organization have uh, made the map uh, and before we used to refer a lot to 28 countries in various places in Africa and and also some country in uh, Middle East and in Asia now what's happened um, wherever practice practicing community travel to for example in Europe in America North America South America anywhere around the world they will practice still this this uh, this this way of uh, mutilation. mutilation for example when somebody come in Heathrow they're not just coming with their luggage only the whole back cultural background comes with it as a package. Do you know what I mean? And and that is what for many, many, many years campaigners and even doctors we you're not really aware because you we thought that if they've traveled somewhere new and that country they costume they do not practice uh, FGM that whoever come in they will follow the, the use and costume of the country where they're living now what's happened and I observe it myself with my own mother or my auntie who practices no no longer do it is a way of of relink yourself with your culture is almost like is accepting is because they left so long their country of origin and all their children born abroad but still because they want to be seen they still belong to the community or the country they come from they will do this um, practice because also is a social pressure pressure because but it, it came out the, the, they doing it because they want their daughter to be safe they don't want their daughter to lose their virginity and also they don't want their daughter to have a high uh, uh, like a wanting uh, having a sexual act with uh, the boys when they're young therefore it is a way of preventing because they really think if they cut it they the girl won't want it so much so it's a way of preventing promiscuity yes it is uh, that is uh, 
like a traditional culture, they were after like a century after the pharaohs when the, the ancient egyptian started it it was an identity aspect of it therefore all any other culture are, are practicing circumcision or fgm it came afterwards and it's a religion aspect when even my area where they practice is identity is nothing to do with religion yeah Another question I'd like to ask you, in a um, traditional African setting, mm. when you've been abused, they take it as a numb. And when you speak about it, you get stigmatized. What is your opinion about this? Have you experienced this before? Oh, yes. I am... I say I'm well trained by uh, people about stigma because... When I decided to speak about FGM, there's a big, big taboo I was breaking because we were told if you ever speak about uh, FGM, you will die. And as a young girl, you hearing this is quite frightening. And then also, if you decide to speak, your relationship with your mother or the woman of the community, practicing community and then also the man, therefore, you feel like um, they make you feel you did something wrong and you have betrayed the community. And when actually as a, as a young child you are a victim because you don't have a power over when the adult organize something to do something to you. Uh, Therefore, stigma is very, very big issue in uh, within the African setting because, in general, we really don't talk about things. We don't really express everything. Is you just let it go in a way, and if you start to speak out, is almost like you become the problem. Yeah, uh, we we don't really open up really. Even if there's an illness, we don't say. You're quite correct because I remember my own experience while going through domestic violence mm. and abuse. Mm. And I kept on telling people about it. I was told, oh, it's normal, it's the norm. Mm. When your husband slaps you, beats you up, you just have to take it and probably improve your behavior. Mm. So in a way, they expected you to suppress it. Mm. And I didn't quite agree with that. And I spoke up and I took the necessary measures. Mm. And I became stigmatized in my community in a way people started, you know, avoiding me. Yes, They said I was, oh, I was too educated and that's why I have this white man's mentality. Yes. Mm. It's very interesting because uh, culture-wise, when you start to speak, for example, when I start to speak about the FGM, then I became the white person. That was an article with Sky News. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, I was uh, contacted by NSPCC because they were going to do um, a campaign uh, during the school holiday because that's the period where the children are taking abroad to be to be to be perform FGM. Therefore we it was a preventing campaign and they contacted me and they put me in contact with uh, 
Sky News was looking for a campaigner to interview, and that's how I got involved. Uh, because the Sky News journalists wanted to talk about the referrals, because they noticed that during uh, the pandemic, the the referral had there was a dramatic drop. There was more, less and less people being referred because of FGM for FGM. And because they set up this 24-hour uh, um, uh, child line, FGM, specifically for FGM, uh, you can contact the NSPCC for 24 hours via text or online. And that's when I did this, uh, this, this work with uh, Sky News. Yes, what is important is to really uh, people to understand that actually FGM is illegal in the UK, anywhere around the world. and But what's happened is that 6,400 women and girls were affected from April 2018. And in March 2019 in England, NHS digital figure shows that since the pandemic, the number of women and girls being referred to the NHS uh, with AGM has dropped. That's why it is very important to keep having campaign and keep really telling the message to to raise awareness mm -hmm. that AGM has to stop. Wow, you must have, you, you guys are doing a fantastic job yes. of raising awareness that AGM is an abuse and it needs to be stopped. Yes, and that is why we have a massive drop uh, during the pandemic. During the pandemic, mm -hmm. and I think it carries a sentence. A legal sentence in terms of if you're caught doing FGM, how many years do you get? Is it 14 years? I think, yeah. Mm. Have you been involved with any landmark case here in the UK or France? Uh, yes, what well, in France, um, there was some very close relative that uh, they were taken in a car park and uh, like uh, in almost secretly and they were seek uh, FGM done to them, uh, therefore they were news all over, all over the place in France. Uh, and we still have to protect the identity of uh, those three young girls and 30 more. Um, then what I did, I, I went to see an organization and that took me, um, that took me with, uh, in different school and I spoke also to nurses all around in Paris area uh, to to speak to the young girl because I, I, I thought if this information is getting to the, to the children when they are at school at least they know and nowadays it's so fantastic their access to social media and with their own phone now we can put sticker of awareness like NSPCC or any other organization in the, the door or in the in the in the ladies toilet and then the girl can see and from their own phone they can text on the kind of conversation uh, that's why I decided to step up and not have a fear of whatever uh, to speak out and to go and speak in school that's how I started and it was very effective very very effective and uh, that's how afterwards one that's why i decided 
to travel to the UK because I needed to learn English. I did a bit of English when I did fashion, uh, my degree and everything, but to that level of being able to speak and explain, and therefore I can have touch a wider range of people around the world of, uh, with the awareness of uh, stopping uh, FGM. And that's why I come uh, in, in the UK. And in 2003, I met uh, a gentleman called Mojuf. He helped with the Victoria Columbia uh, case, high high profile uh, child abuse case. Um, unfortunately, she lost her life out of the, all the abuse she got. And from there, he set up this charity uh, where he's uh, going speaking uh, to statutory uh, organization and also advisory work, consultancy. And one time he, he had to do some paper for the UN in a certain country in West Africa. And that's where he, I was able to coordinate in the office while he was away was a real amazing experience and I'm still in contact uh, with um, with the Victoria Columbia Foundation with more yeah final questions support system or resilience support system is everything because it's like the foundation how we have like train ourselves how we are confident and then from there we 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 look into where we can get the support for myself it was uh, my parents, it was really my backbone, and it gave me that confidence to go and speak about this uh, stopping, uh, stopping FGM and starting campaigning. And also how the support system with the statutory organization or system or having a good friend or a good community where you can actually have a dialogue and being... Uh, um, be, being pointed in a direction where you can go to seek if, if somebody needs a referral with doctor to see which hospital therefore supposed to stop system is is very important healing or power i'll say is healing and power is i'll say in the healing part i feel i have come to term accepting that my body is, is mutilated and and the power is that I I see myself as a victor, not a victim. And I did uh, counselling as well, which really helped me. In terms of healing? In, in top of healing, yes. And also I... I'm uh, I, I practice and I it helped me to to really look into me and and really empower myself. Mm. Survival or thrivers? I'll say I survived this trauma and now thriving because I have used it as a springboard. I have used this, I made it like my mission. And it's almost like I've been through a scenario. I know how we feel. I know what the impact of it. And now I can speak out about it, against it, and to campaign. Therefore, I'm striving. Mm. Thriving. Mm. Thriving. What message do you have for women to rise up above abuse? Is One thing is definitely to forgive ourselves for being through this and to forgive what's happened and 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 through abuse to use it as something to really 
because this happened, therefore we can see in the past how we were and how we can make ourselves with the help of our community or the statutory organization, how we can or even go do a training course or change a career. There's so many things we can do from that starting point of being abused and being a victor. So and rise high to the highest point of the capability and the possibility of our life. So in other words, be positive. Be positive. Yes. It's a negative, but you transform it into a positive. Wow. It's like when it ran, no matter what, there's always a rainbow. Thank you so much. I hope you've been, you've been inspired by our guest speaker today. Thank you, Sally, for sharing with us an amazing story and experience. Thank you for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, kindly subscribe to the podcast, share and comment. You can reach us at risingaboveshadowsofabuse at gmail.com and our social media platforms. Comment, share it, and see you on our next episode. Thank you. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast with Grace Offbach.